0: This podcast is made possible by the generosity of listeners like you. Kindly consider a contribution through Patreon or PayPal. Links are in the details box. Patreon is a monthly subscription that you can cancel anytime. And PayPal is a one-time donation. Any amount is appreciated. And follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. The handle, The Beirut Banyan. And you can find us on our YouTube channel with the same name, and you can start watching the episodes as they're released. Thank you for listening, and thank you for watching. I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan. Tamir, I think this episode is born out of pure harassment. You're minding your own business on Twitter, you're sharing your own thoughts on your terms, you're publishing a medium piece on something that's curious to you, and then you have to deal with someone like me who sort of (laughs) pops out of nowhere and says, hi, I'd like to talk about what you're writing about. You could just sort of sleep and be at ease, but instead you're stuck with me. So it's (laughs) an honor that you're willing to tackle what I think is somewhat sensitive terrain, but uh, it's I think also one born out of personal (laughs) evolution And perhaps to a degree, it's sort of a very individual perspective on a nation's past. And we're going to get into tricky things. But before jumping into your recent medium piece, before getting into the heavier subject, I'm just curious right now, your sort of day-to-day routine as a Lebanese in the diaspora, dealing with COVID-19 and following up on Lebanese issues, and at the same time, exploring very sensitive terrain. So, if you can just sort of give me your immediate life at the moment.
1: Sure. Uh, well, first of all, thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It's The honor is mine. Uh, and as for my routine, it has been more or less the same since March. So, mm. <laughs> I would not say the last few weeks, but I would say the last few months really has mm. been the same. And I think uh, the positive part is that, is that it actually gave me the opportunity or the chance to actually devote some time, because I have a lot of free time now, to... Do some more reading and to write uh, about to write the piece that I wrote, I which is the first uh, Medium piece I publish on this subject. Mm. I mean, I've tweeted a lot about the subject before, based on my I, my thoughts and my perspectives, but I've never I have never published you know a full uh, essay for the sort of the world to read. Mm. Uh, and and it's exciting, uh, you know, the Medium piece was selected by Medium to be featured in the religion and world section, so <laughs> it's
2: getting a lot of traction,
1: which is not what I expected at all. I thought maybe ten people on Twitter. As we had discussed before we started recording, with in- in-
0: including in- me, you know, so it's like really like small pool, but no, it's yeah. being okay. That's great to hear.
1: It, yeah. It's been getting a lot of traction, surprisingly, you know, I, two days later I'm on a podcast. So uh, it's definitely <laughs> interesting. And um, and in t- so in terms of my routine, nothing has, nothing much has changed, just uh, a lot of free time mm-hmm. to sort of explore my interests. Mm-hmm. And in terms of my relationship to Twitter, since you brought that up, I think it, I've been a little bit more engaged uh, on topics related to Lebanon because Frankly, I don't have much uh, better to do <laughs> in my free time. Right.
2: Yes. So
1: I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm more engaged in conversations with people on Twitter. And that's where I uh, started getting uh, started formulating these ideas and these thoughts, uh, mm-hmm. I guess, and these perspectives that, that I, I decided to write about. You yep.
0: know, but I'm curious that I think, you know, I, you're in a way it's it's a mirror. It's it's very close to what I've been doing, even though I started the podcast way before COVID yep. and way b- before the protests began in, in Lebanon. Yeah, this time and sort of ability to reflect, I think it uh, it offers that unique window to share ideas, um, and yeah, I mean it's uh, we know each other from Twitter. I think we have a lot of mutual friends on Twitter that we've never met, but we seem engaged yeah. with, and we almost almost like friends at this point. So it is a strange sort of situation that you're sharing ideas with people you probably you may never meet in real life. Yeah. And now you're on a podcast born out of a medium piece that's going worldwide. So that is that is rather unique. But I'm gonna maybe I'm gonna start from how I sort of met you online and go into the piece. Um sure. go ahead. I think it's maybe a few months ago, or or it could actually could be could be longer than that. Could be when the protests began. I mean I, I'm not I'm not good on Twitter. Actually, I'm actually I really bad on Twitter and social media in general. I have no idea what I'm doing. So, I literally just opened accounts and started sharing episodes from the podcast. At the beginning, you know, you see you have five or six followers, 10, 20. You kind of am curious oh, who's following me? And a name showed up Tamer. <laughs> <laughs> but Tamer in Phoenician script. Now, for me, this is like, I didn't really think about it. I'm like, ah, eh, angry Maronite. <laughs> Has to be. Entertaining and ready to tweet, but pissed off. <laughs> and then, you know, you kind of just see tweets here and there, and you sort of, <laughs> I, I was further convinced, like, oh, a really angry Maronite. But, uh, you know, like an enjoyable one, too. Sort of entertaining. And then, it's funny. Yeah. your piece comes out, and I'm 100% convinced, wow, this angry Maronite is now going worldwide, sharing his pain. And I'm, you know, I, I, it's my fault. And it's born out of I think what the story evolves, and your piece kind of hints at it, that these are preconceived notions that I would just assume that you're a Maronite Christian talking about Christian perspective or Christian identity, and it's my fault completely. You're not Maronite. And it's one of the first things you say in the piece, that you're not Maronite. And you also speak of personal evolution, in terms of maybe the historic perspective on Lebanon's story. So there's a lot to get into, but I wanted to start there because I just assumed wrongly, and here I am talking about Baronite history with the Lebanese Druze, which I think is actually it's important. I think that's it's something worth noting from the start. The piece is called On the Arab Identity and Its Discontents: A Personal Reflection and a Survey of Christian Perspectives by a Lebanese Druze <laughs> named <Tamj. laughs> So yeah. be- before we get into the piece. I'm curious about your own sort of your own personal evolution, in maybe in maybe reaching certain conclusions that you share in the piece. And before we started recording, you mentioned that you were an international studies student. Was it UC San Diego? Did I get that UC right? UC
1: San Diego. Yes.
0: Okay. So I I mean I know nothing about UC San Diego. Um, I, I I can maybe un, I can guess. International studies at UC San Diego may have a certain leaning, certain bend. But again, I'm going to ask you, because I don't want to have any preconceived notions about this terrain. What made you sort of emerge, let's say, from a skeptical view towards Christian perspectives into one that's maybe more embracing, and then later into one that you may actually fully support? So maybe if you can just Reflect a reflection on that your own personal evolution, and your piece hints at it here and there in terms of your own friendships in the Emirates. But I'm guessing it's not there. I f- I'm, I'm guessing it's a, it's a bigger story. It's not just conversations with a few friends in the Emirates.
1: Sure. So maybe I'll, I'll summarize a little bit of what I the portion that I talk when I talk about myself in the essay, mm-hmm. which is that I'm, I'm Lebanese Jews, as you mentioned. I was raised in the UAE, grew up among Arabs of all sorts, mainly Lebanese, Syrians, Palestinians, Jordanians, Egyptians uh majority of them uh were muslim uh and of course with when, you come, when it comes to lebanese there's also a lot of christians and Druze as well but but by and large it was mostly muslims and for the most part we never really had this conversation about identity really it's mm. everyone was arab everyone identified as arab we were all in the same classroom mm. it's very different than growing up in lebanon where it's just other lebanese and then maybe the the, the other is the, the syrian refugee or the palestinian refugee there was never that right, sort of dichotomy right. we were all in the same classroom so I would say I never had this sort of identity never really uh, crossed my mind. Uh, it was just I reflexively identified as, as Arab at that at that point. At the same time, though, I, I was very interested and in, very intrigued, I guess, with Lebanon's history. I've, I've always been a history nerd.
0: But is, so is this childhood? I mean, I was trying to get – so this is at an early age. You're already sort of curious about this terrain. It's not born out of education in terms of university only. It goes back – earlier?
1: Yes. Okay, no, definitely. Okay. I think hmm. the first book I read about Lebanon was the, mo- I think, History of Modern Lebanon or Modern History of Lebanon, I forget, For by Kemal Tor- Salibi. Oh, of uh, course. Salibi, uh, yes, yes,
0: his, yes. His, one of his
1: older books, and course, I read that when yeah. I was, must have been 13 or 14, so a very long time ago.
0: Interesting. Okay, so it so, really, it, it predates university years. Okay. Oh, yeah,
1: yeah well before university. Hmm. Uh, funnily enough, in university, I had to, I, I majored in chemical engineering initially, because you know how Lebanese parents are. Yeah, doctorium, this uh, <laughs> that approach. And then I did international studies out of interest on the side as a second major.
0: In the uh, chemical chart, were you trying to include the mosaic? we are like, I'd like a Greek Orthodox element here and some <laughs> uh, some Druze here.
1: <laughs> oh yeah, if, if the if the charts were in if the, the elements were discovered in Lebanon, it would have uh, been, been a mess. Uh, Greek uh, Orthodoxium, Maronitium.
0: Coptic <laughs> carbon. Yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> exactly. <laughs>
0: So that's, that's, okay, so it's good to know that it's, it's, it's born out of curiosity. Yeah. But from that perspective, as a teenager, and you're young, and I think that's, I mean, you have every reason to explore every idea. It's not like you're, yeah. you, no one expects a 13-year-old to reach sort of lifelong conclusions. Sure. The, the process of kind of that initial sympathy to pan-Arab ideas, or let's say Arab nationalism, is there a moment that you kind of start distancing yourself a bit from that, where you maybe want to explore other literature that focuses on other perspectives? And I'm curious if there's a tipping point, and if that if that goes to education in terms of university, or it's something really born out of self discovery.
1: Definitely, I think uh, I don't think that happened in high school. So in high school, mm. I was. So, so this is, uh, I'll go through, and I think the, the perspective that made me change was actually a change in my, my sort of economic perspective and my perspective on politics more broadly and mm. less to do with Arab nationalism versus Lebanese nationalism, the Muslim narrative versus the Christian narrative. So I, I think in mm. high school, uh, so I read the modern history of Lebanon, and I also read the Communist Manifesto at the same time.
2: Uh, so, uh, uh, <laughs> so around
1: that same age, I was reading, I was reading the same sort, uh, those sort of books, and, and mm. I think I was definitely very much left, very left-leaning, uh, I mean, as a kid, I mean, I, I didn't know anything. So it, it was really that that my first my first political thoughts uh, uh, were like that. I was very, you know, I, I came of age when Barack Obama was was running for his first election. I was around the time, I think, when I first entered high school. And even though I grew up in Dubai, people were excited about him, you know, the first black president and. His rhetoric, especially before he became elected, was fairly, I would say, somewhat left populist. I think he became more of a centrist as he took an office and mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. started implement. And, you know, his, his policies became more of a more center leaning, more center left. But, but I was excited about him. Mm. And I think uh, what happened is when I went to university, I think uh, from taking economics courses and, and having conversations with with my peers uh, Mostly outside of the classroom, because, uh, like I mentioned, I was a chemical engineer starting out. So yeah. international studies was a double major I declared two years into college. Uh, and it's so, something
0: you wanted to explore. That's something you know, something I wanted to explore. Right. Okay.
1: So, uh, so, but, uh, but yes, from having these conversations, and I think uh, economics classes actually it started a little bit in my senior year, junior year of high school, but into my freshman year of college, I saw myself drifting more uh, toward the center slash center right on
0: economics. You know, and I, on. Yeah, I'm going to interrupt you here because I'm, I'm glad you're saying it. It's for, it's not from politics. It's not from politics. I'm going to quote you to you right now. I was planning on doing this later, but I think this is sure. a good segue. And I'm going to speak on your behalf here. So these are your words back to you. Today, okay. yeah, thanks. <laughs> Today, I would characterize myself as broadly center-right with a more balanced perspective on Lebanon's civil war. One that is, in fact, sympathetic to the Christian or nationalist cause and identifies closely with Lebanon's raison d'être as an independent state that serves as a bridge between the West and the predominantly Arab East. So that's one that's not born out of history necessarily or politics. You're looking at it from a from an economics point of view, and you're coming to that conclusion. I, and I, the reason I'm honing in on this is I've never never heard this before that economics would take you to that center right perspective. So let's yeah. let's get into that. What exactly is it about economics or the the study? that lets you sort of get to a more right-leaning politics?
1: Sure. Uh, Well, let me step back first a bit Mm. back to my teenage years and and why sort of my leftist perspective colored my view, I would say, of the Lebanese Civil War and the Lebanese Mm -hmm. identity conflict more broadly. Mm -hmm. And for me, it was, I mean, I think part of it had to do with me being Druze and and sympathizing with the Druze version of history, Uh, just, I think there's a natural, you know, connection but also, I, I wouldn't say I was especially Druze given that I was more of a secular leftist kind of uh, teenager. Mm. So it, it was more that I sympathized with what I saw as the marginalized, disadvantaged, uh, etc. communities in Lebanese society. The way mm. I, the way I saw it, and I mentioned that a little bit in the piece is I, I saw Muslims and druzes fighting to gain a fair share, a, a seat on the table,
2: yes. and right. the
1: right-wing Christian elites denying them that. Mm-hmm. And, and, and my vision, and my view was based on that perspective. And I read a lot of authors who had this sort of leftist slash Arabist wow. take on the war as well, who, given that they were leftists, also looked at it from a very class prism. So, and I think that's why that made me more sympathetic to the sort of uh, leftist and Arabist cause. And I think more broadly, just to take this out of the Lebanese context mm-hmm. uh, for a second, when it comes to, to, to like uh, Arab nationalism more broadly, I saw Arab nationalism as this sort of liberation ideology for the... Arab masses if you will who have been denied their chance at independence by Britain and France that, that carved them up that, 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 that sort of that was my sort of perspective
0: you know so, before before, before yeah. we get into that and I uh, sometimes I have to exit the screen because there's something I need to show you so sure. give me give me two seconds yeah Because uh, referencing Kamel Salibi is one thing, yeah. a national treasure, and you know, I mean, and you mentioned one of his earlier books. For me, it's always House of Many Mansions. That's the sort of one I go to right away. But it is worth remembering that, yeah, his his uh, his catalog is quite expansive. Yeah. That said, I know Kamel Salibi. I lived in one of his apartments on on Bliss Street in Cidade, yeah. and I met him. I was very lucky to have met him. And I think my maybe certain ideas I had over time evolved after that kind of conversation one-on-one. Yeah. But Kamal Salibi is safe territory. You, my friend, go to dangerous territory with this book here. (laughs) And you reference Fouyad Ajami and you reference that famous quote about Arab nationalism. So I'm going to quote you to you quoting Fouyad Ajami.
2: Yeah.
0: It was ultimately minority experiences that led the the, the late Lebanese-American scholar Fouad Hajami to conclude that, quote, the forbidden set of Arab nationalism was that in practice it was Sunni dominion dressed in secular garb. Okay. Now, I'm going to take issue with a few things. Um, Sure. Go ahead. I I don't think he would refer to himself as a Lebanese-American scholar. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add that to the mix that I think he identified himself as an American scholar of sure. Lebanese extract. I'm just, this is not a challenge to you. This is more just a, I think it's worth noting that Fuad Ajami is not the Lebanese Arab that I think comes with that definition. Sure. The, the way we understand it, I, I doubt he would subscribe to that if he were still yeah. alive. So that's, that's number one. Number two is, I mean, it's a great quote. And you went straight to it. That Sunni huh. dominion dressed in secular garb. Yeah. Did you see that yourself? In other words, in other words, you're a Lebanese Druze who's sympathetic to that economic story. And you're seeing it. I mean, you, I'm, I'm guessing you're not just in Dubai. You're going to Lebanon at this stage that you have. Yeah. yeah so you're, is there something about Arab, national, Arab nationalism that's turning you off in particular that makes that kind of code resonate to you? Because it's not something that I think I saw necessarily until I read that quote and sort of it took me there. It's like, yes, it is one of exclusion rather than inclusion. But I didn't get there until I read that quote. Is it the same for you or is it a reverse issue that you saw it and then this quote resonates with you?
1: That's very interesting, actually, Rani. I I have to think about that for a second because uh, so... In, so that passage, first of all, let's get into the passage. It was talking about the Shia perspective in yes. Iraq and Lebanon on Arab nationalism and how they were never fully included. Ironically, the Druze, even though they were a much smaller community than the, the Shias of Iraq and, and Lebanon, they were actually more subscribing to Arab nationalism, historically under command of jablat and even right. to some extent Ali-Jablat. Al-Jamal yes. maybe pays more lip service to it, but Kenan Jamal was very much a you know a die-in-the-wool Arabist. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, I I, do, I don't I don't think that I think this is more my perspective today, having spoken to so many so many Christians about wh- why they view this, the way they do, and to some extent some Shia Muslims as well from Lebanon about why they view Arab nationalism the way they do. Those who who don't c- completely subscribe to it. Unless, and unless and from it's not it's not my my perspective. When I was an Arabist, I don't think I was turned off by by the Sunni dominion part. It's after having these conversations that made me see that perspective because I was blind to that.
0: Interesting. To so, so yeah. it's conversations with with Lebanese Christians.
1: Yeah, and and actually, and and then after I started reading more, for example, I started uh, learning. So actually, there is another component. So that was that was part of it, and then the other sort of more academic part. And this is uh, also very recent. So this kind of came in light of having these conversations. Mm. I started reading more about the history of Arab nationalism vis-a-vis the Druze uh, in Lebanon and Syria.
2: Hmm.
1: And uh, if you and maybe I'll I'll do a quick sort of I'll try to keep this as uh, brief as possible. But there was this Syrian dictator uh, called Adib Shishakli. Who uh, I who the first actually he's the first Syrian dictator the first of the great uh, not so great Syrian
0: dictators <laughs> for for a chemical engineer you're well versed on your recent history I mean that's pretty good that, that referencing yeah. the pre Assad you know leadership and you're stuck with you know chemical engineering not not bad so this really yeah. is pure passion on your part I, I can kind of passion. I can hear it yeah.
1: I, I want you to tell my parents that.
0: <laughs> <laughs> ah, ah. Well, if you're looking yeah. for a career change, they can call me. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll advise them. Yes, yes, yes. No money, but he'll have a great time.
1: <laughs> he'll have great conversations with the. <laughs>
0: yeah, yeah, great conversations. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's all he'll have, actually.
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, sorry, I interrupted you.
1: Uh, so some inter- some interesting facts about Edip Şişecikli. He was yeah. actually of mixed Turkish and Kurdish descent. And an SSNP sympathizer, mm, mm-hmm. and uh, actually an ironic, a funny story. I think, and I, I forget the, the exact details, but uh, Amin al Hafiz, I think, was the president before, if I'm not mistaken. I have to, or I have to remember. I forget the name of mm. uh, the uh, president who had who had turned in Saadi when he went to exile to C- to Syria, back to Lebanon, and he was executed in Lebanon. Right.
2: That's, and I think yeah. he killed.
1: Uh, he ki- after they had the coup, he killed him and presented. Uh, I think. His, his, something, I don't know, he has presented his body as a gift, or his, his shirt, his bloodied shirt, as a gift to Saad, his wife. So there's a lot of history. So he's actually an SSMP sympathizer. Mm. Maybe that's not very relevant. But when he came to power, he saw the need of appealing to the Sunni Arab masses, who were less Syrianist in their orientation as he was. I mean, you know, he was a Turkish, uh, Kurdish extract. Uh, and, and more the, what they saw was more of an appeal toward the, the, the sort of Arabist uh, I guess outlook,
2: right? Uh, in right. terms of
1: uh, ideology, and and one of the things and one of the things he, he sets about doing is trying trying to marginalize uh, minorities that he thought would be a thorn in his side. Again, he's the first dictator. He's trying to centralize power. Yes. And and the minority that he had picked the most fights with, I, I suppose uh, you could call, you could say that uh, were the Druze, because the Druze had previously uh, led the sort of great Syrian revolt against uh, French occupation yeah. in 1925 to 1927. And they were sort of a military force to be reckoned with. And the fact that they were from southern Syria, maybe an hour's drive from Damascus, made them a threat to the capital. So he, so there's a lot of tensions, and I think there's a, a great piece by uh, I think it's Joshua Landis, if you've heard of him. Yeah, talks sure. About the whole relationship, uh, who is also somewhat controversial, but he talks about the whole relationship between.
0: He's the opposite. He's the opposite end of the controversy spectrum. Yeah. Yes, <laughs>
1: <the> opposite, exactly. <laughs> so he talks about the relationship between Shishakli and the Druze, and how the tensions emerge, and sort of the bottom line is he sub, uh, he decides to have a, a sort of a military campaign against the Druze. So the Druze region in Syria is actually bombed with airplanes. Uh, and, and they were subjugated by force. And that's why I think you don't see the Syrian, Syrian Jewish community, which is more than twice the size of the Lebanese one as involved or engaged politically right. and culturally in Syrian life. They're very much, uh, isolationist. Keep, they keep to their own, that sort of thing.
2: But
0: it's interesting though, because a, yeah. an American of Lebanese extract, I'm mean, I maybe taking it too far here, but a Shia and Lebanese, using this yeah. Lebanese of Amer- whatever you want to call, it, is yeah. showing yeah. a Druze and a Sunni the the ills of Sunni dominion, and then yeah. that translates to Arab nationalism. But these are things that I mean for you. I am th- getting from you that it's one born out of two things: it's you, you sort of engaging the the text on your own terms, and also talking to Christians. It's not you're not talking to Shia you're talking yeah, to
1: mainly Christians, yeah.
0: Christians. So I think it's almost like a step further. And you're, you're absolutely right. I'm glad you mentioned this, that Foyet Ajami is referring to the Shia community, not the Christian community in that sort of yeah. secular garb and, and all that. So that,
1: that's why he mentioned Sunni, not Muslim. So that,
2: that just specifically, well, that's
0: hundred yeah. percent. Well said, well said, uh, you should leave chemical engineering join, join this terrain. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, but, but okay. I, the reason I, I bring him up again and, I don't know if, hmm, I'm, I'm going to say this maybe carefully. Is this born out of frustration, less to do with your own immediate experience and more to do with a wider story? So, so in other words, in other words, the you grow up in that kind of comfortable conclusion, Arabism, left-wing politics. Drew's confession. And that's it. Right. <laughs> and then by yeah. the end of your teenage years, and you're sort of you're becoming a, I mean, you're, you're growing up, and you're sort of seeing beyond that. You're then a center right Lebanese. And I'm going yes. to quote you to you again, because I think it, it kind of, I, I'm, I'm curious how that conclusion happens. And you yeah. say, you say it's fairly bold statements. So I'll I'll start with the less bold, and we can work our way up. Sure. It is worth highlighting that the Christian experience in the modern Middle East gives credence to their fears about Arabism. Christians were often persecuted by Arab nationalist regimes that came to power in the mid-20th century. The Ba'athist regimes in Iraq and Syria, for instance, often forced non-Arabic speaking populations to adopt the Arabic language and Arab identity. This has nothing to do with your own life. I mean you're not you're not suffering per se yeah. yet you're 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 realizing that there is a community that that feels insecure so how do you get there exactly and I, i'm just curious the psychological component that you're taking another community's concerns maybe more than your own and you're seeing it as an individual rather than a sort of a group and yeah. and and i'm going to add one more thing to that am i right to assume here that your biggest concern is none of this, that it's one of authoritarianism versus local expression. I'm trying to get maybe to the core of what the story is all about. So anything yes. you can add to that?
1: Yes, definitely. I think uh, the one point I did want to mention is, and, and sort of we're jumping topics a little bit, but sure. going back to sort of how my I transitioned uh, mm. uh, in, in some ways to becoming more of a, more of a centrist, I would say ba- vaguely center right uh, on economy on, the, on economics, I started looking at Lebanon very different. Lebanon pre-war Lebanon was no longer this classist uh, sectarian society where Muslims and Druze were marginalized uh, it was in my my respect an, an imperfect example an inf- imperfect model of coexistence and a very economically successful country you know in mm, the 1950s mm. and 60s Lebanon you know at some point had the 10th in the top 10 of the highest GDPs per capita in the world so so there were things like that I started attracting me or appealing to me more Versus, so, so it's just, it's the same story. It's the same Lebanon. I just started looking at it from a different lens. Interesting. And, yeah. and, and, and my broader frustration comes at how, in my opinion, that Lebanon, that Lebanon of coexistence and, and and as imperfect as it were and as unequal as it were, was in some ways torn apart. Uh, and, I, and I laid the blame at these pan-ideologies that came and interfered in the country. First, it was pan-Arabism. You have the involvement of the PLO uh, pulling the country into a very pan-Arabist cause
2: mm-hmm.
1: uh, at the expense of that country's sovereignty, economy, e- economy prosperity, and stability. And then sort of more later, and this is getting into very dangerous terrain, uh, there's there is the, the, the other than pan, which is the I, – I would view it as a pan-ideology as well, which is uh, Islamism mm-hmm. and especially the Shia variety, which is, uh, of mm-hmm. course, very salient in uh, Lebanon today. And I'll, I'll keep it at that just to be <laughs> – safe as possible
0: there's <laughs> endless ways of describing what you're describing yeah no yes. but that, but that's but, a that's a very astute historic narrative of, yeah. of that kind of ideological uh, let's say growth yeah. in Lebanon but yeah keep going and mm-hmm. and
1: so and and the bone that I have to pick with arabism and and yes I, I'm using all these in some ways partly is out of sympathy for let's say the Assyrians of Iraq who've had to you know, to you know, no longer have Assyrian names, and they have to take Arabic first names, and they have to learn Arabic and forget their own, uh, you know, indigenous tongue. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, 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 there's a bit of sympathy for, for for that, but I think for me, more broadly, it's a story of an authoritarian ideology that is hegemonic, and that it imposes itself on people that not only don't subscribe to it. It's not; those are not Arabic-speaking peoples. Those are people who, who it, it's it's not their identity at all. Like there, there's you can't even make an arg. You can perhaps make an argument that. Any Arabic speaker is an Arab. That is an argument that is made. There's no clear definition of an Arab. But you cannot make an, the argument that a Kurdish speaking Kurd or an Assyrian or sorry, Aramaic speaking, or rather neo-Aramaic to be very specific, speaking Assyrian. It, you you can't make this argument for these two other groups that they are Arabs. Right. So 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 I mentioned that sort of so there's a bit of sympathy there and 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 they, they are the primary victims, in my opinion, of, of Arabism. But I also look at Lebanon, this model of coexistence, this I would say this oasis in the desert, if you will, to use that reference, Uh, as imperfect as it was, as as a lot, there were a lot of problems. You had the 1958 crisis, the 1943 pact was imperfect, but, but also that country uh, also was suffered and, or or suffered and was, uh, was torn apart by that same, by those same ideological currents.
0: But again, your own concern for Lebanese Christians. What is that? Where is that? I mean, it can't. I'm going to yeah. test. I'm going to test you here. Sure, go and ahead, you, sure. I mean, you say as much as you'd like. You have economic suffering across the spectrum in Lebanon, so it can't just be one of economic concern for the Christians of Lebanon. I can't. I'm assuming it's it's not born out of uh, inequality. Yeah. So why are you taking it to the Christian story in particular? And before that, I'm going to quote you to you one more time. Christians tend to believe they cannot become fully Arab without abandoning their religion and culture. This yeah. is strong words. Are, are, you, are you seeing yourself in part of that? So in, in other words, are you relating to their story and you're kind of yearning for that? Maybe maybe you wanted a, a more local expression and therefore it resonates with you? Because, I mean, I, I don't see yet why you're taking it across the mountain <laughs> and going sure. to the Christian story.
1: So, so let's take this, uh, break this apart. Uh, mm. The first point is uh, on on why, why do I care? Why do I care about Christianity in
0: Lebanon? I think... Or, or, I, or, and, and, or, and you correct me if I'm wrong. More than other narratives or identities or, or stories, let's say, in the Lebanese context. So this one stands out to you.
1: Well, so... For one, it's because Lebanon was was founded by by the Maronites. It was an expression of their their, especially the Maronite community. It was an expression of their own national desires, interests, however you want to describe it. So, so I, I would say, in in some ways, it's it's a bit of a you know. I guess some sort of respect that I'm paying to the community that birthed a country that I identify very
0: closely with. This is more and dangerous than Foued Ajami and anything else. So you're going down. So you're you're in a way, indi- <laughs> you're individually you're expressing a identification with their insecurity and therefore the story of Greater Lebanon as one of Maronite dominion. You're you're looking at it that way, or or is it more like this is a community that is large enough to have some autonomy and that's part of your story too. Cause I, I still don't, I mean, I'm interrupting you yes. quite a bit cause I'm trying to like hone in on it. Sure. Yeah. Uh,
1: I, I think it's more of the latter. I, I, I don't think it's about like, I don't, I don't miss Maronite dominion in Lebanon. I, I, okay. I, so, so, yeah. I, I don't, I don't want to go back. I want a better future for everyone. If that mm, makes sense. Mm, yes. But if yeah. I had the choice between the present and the past, I would choose the past. Does that make sense? So yeah. I think the pe- the past is more preferable than the present, but it's not ideal. And I think maybe I don't emphasize it that much mm. because my I, I wrote this essay from the from the Christian perspective, right. and it's not my own perspective. And I think and 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 now you're convincing me actually to 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 write another essay about the Druze perspective on Lebanon and why the Druze felt they were left out, even though. In some ways, they're as much of an original Lebanese community in the sense that they helped birth the, the emirate of Mount Lebanon in, yeah. in, the, in the fifteen and sixteen hundreds with Emir Fakhreddin. Yeah. So why did they feel left out, and why did they Kamal Djemal led the opposition to this Maronite-dominated Lebanon?
0: That's a very why good. Why was that the case? Exactly. Now, yeah, and that, that's actually you're, you're yeah. in a way. I'm glad you. I'm glad you asked that to yourself because yeah. that, that is worth noting. That yeah. one one community that is a minority within the Lebanese context is fundamentally opposed to the narrative that you're in a way you're expressing that Christian narrative. But yeah, let's, let's, let's keep going on that.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so, and and I do want to, and I think now, now you're convincing me to do, to do that, to actually write this other essay, you know, which basically points out the the flaws in, 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 in this old Lebanese Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. model of coexistence that I, so for example, so I guess another way of saying this is I'm actually, you know, Talking this up, talking this old Lebanon up, up based on my frustrations with the present Lebanon, and and I right. never lived in that period. So I, right. again, this is a very very romanticized view. I think uh, Leb- all of us Lebanese have this romantic notion of the past based on stories our parents and grandparents tell us
2: mm-hmm.
1: about pre-war Lebanon. But but I do want to emphasize that I do see the problems. I've, I I've read enough to understand what the what the situations were, and I and, and this is not. Uh, this is not an expression of, uh, you know, Maronite chauvinism or pro Maronite chauvinism on my part.
0: Right. OK, that's yeah. actually uh, that's yeah. fair. So it's, it's really yeah. acknowledging that something seemed to work better for everyone, but it wasn't an ideal situation exactly. for everyone. OK, exactly. See, yeah. I'm not
1: an angry I'm not an angry Maronite on Twitter, <laughs> I'm pretty, uh, pretty reasonable.
0: Uh, and you're not a self-hating Druze. <laughs> I'm
1: not a self-hating Druze either. <laughs> yeah.
0: You're just uh, a guy in California <laughs> with a lot of free time. <laughs> a lot of free time, exactly. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Yeah. But let me, let me add, I, 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 like, sure. I like referencing your piece now and then. Yes. So let me add, can I, can let me, I add another point. Yeah, of course, of course, please. Actually,
1: and, and another point I did want to add as well is my concern for, for, for Christians and not just Maronites, I think Christians more broadly in Lebanon today is I think when that component disappears or if that disappears – I think Lebanon would lose a lot of, of that, se- that semblance of pluralism, and I mentioned that in my conclusion, and, yeah. I think, and I think that is important. I think Lebanon's unique identity comes from having a very large Christian component, because they are very distinctive from, I would say, both Muslims and Druzes uh, in terms of their culture, their outlook, and I think they are, in some ways, our, they, they bring, they're a bridge between our country and the West, which has been, you know, for, for over a century now, a place where the diaspora goes to, a place that we've had a lot of connection to. And I think they helped build that bridge. And, and I like that Lebanon is situated between the West and the Arab East, uh, just from the sense that I think it brought this country economic prosperity and it made Lebanon a country, you know, a, a sort of a, a more freer, a democratic, a more, di- more pluralistic country. You know, even post-Civil War, Lebanon was still the, the sort of the capital of free press, if you will. Uh, in the Middle East. And I think it does come from having the sense of pluralism that is enshrined in the constitution. There's something about the national fact as imperfect as as it is, but the fact that it enshrined every community a certain degree of power made that pluralism very hard to erase. Uh, and I think and, and this is why and, and this is something and now it comes that when the whole the whole thing melts down da- melts down, which is what's going on in Lebanon, the whole system is, is falling apart. And and those those institutions are no longer as strong as they are. When those go, when that melts, I have a, I have the fear that this would drive a lot. This would change a lot of the dynamic in the country, the political dynamic. Christians being now at perhaps maybe be down to only a third of the population, yet they have half the seats in parliament, half the cabinet posts. They have a lot. They have outsized influence politically, and I think we might. There might be an overcorrection where. Uh, where Christians get marginalized and begin to, begin to leave as Lebanon changes, because I don't think this current system is stable and will last very long. I have this feeling that big changes are coming. And that makes sense.
0: No, no, that makes sense. But l- before we go into that, because that's that's very present, and I think that's that. I mean, I think these conversations are born out of what's happening to that community, and and they're in a way, I think you're just saying an existential question whether or not they can survive the way we've seen them surviving recently. But, but let's before we go into that tunnel, um, sure. I'm, I'm going to step back a bit. I'm going to quote you to you again. Okay. And this is, I mean, this is, again, these are assertions that I want you to, to maybe expand on. The Maronites sure. are unique in that of all the Christian communities of the MENA region, they were the only ones that managed, with the help of France, to first gain significant autonomy in Mount Lebanon, following the massacres of 1860, then a full state of their own, known as Greater Lebanon in 1920. And then from there, from the perspective of Lebanese Christians, the war at its outset was one of self-preservation, which was and continues to be inextricably linked to the preservation of Lebanon as an independent state. In their view, the desire to integrate Lebanon into its Arab surroundings, in quotes, which would further Arabize Islamize the country, would in turn slowly erode Lebanon's essence and raison d'etre, as a refuge for Christians with links to both the West and the Arab world. So, am I getting from this that the pluralism benefits of modern Lebanese history end once the Maronites are no longer special, that, that their special status is what's keeping that pluralism story alive? It's the confessional power-sharing creature that everyone seems to be against when they're protesting but I'm getting from you that that thing is what keeps Lebanon special and Lebanon is only special so long as the Maronites feel special which which I mean and I may be taking this too far maybe yeah but I I want to get to what exactly do you mean by that kind of you know unique uniqueness of the Maronites and what it what it means today even in the best years of Lebanese, of modern Lebanese history, where, and, and it's it, that, that kind of slight hegemony in Leban, in Lebanese politics, that was just years before the Civil War broke out. And, and you say it in the piece also that their majority was never there, that it's just um, under the French mandate during the census that there may be it's like 1% larger than the yeah. rest, but that quickly goes down. So yeah. let's get into that uniqueness, pluralism, what the frustrations are today, and from there we can take it into their place in in and maybe all that's happening.
1: Uh, so, so I think the first uh, first comment would be uh, when I mentioned they're the first Christian community to, or the only Christian community to be able to establish their own independent state. This was not just a statement of like positive or negative. I was just trying to you know re- read facts essentially. Mm, mm, you know, the mm. Syrians didn't manage to get their own, fa- uh, their own state. The Cops didn't. Uh, but, they, but, they, but they weren't fighting,
0: Christians. they weren't, there's no other community that was seeking that kind of political autonomy. I don't, I, the cops didn't sort of want their exclusionary sure. regime or the Assyrians, I don't think ever really made I it. They,
1: a, I think the Assyrians actually were promised a state And but, but yes, there was never, they never, I think the Maronites were unique as well. So going back to their hmm, uniquenesses, hmm. they had, they had very special links with the West. Right. That dates back to, I mean, you can go back to the 1500s when those links with the Catholic Church were established and we had the Maronite College established in Rome. So Maronite monks got Western education, brought it back and yeah. missionaries came to Lebanon. I, I, I do think in, in some ways, I think I, I don't want Maronite necessarily to be special or pro- privileged over other communities. Mm. I, I think it's important that their role, as is the role of other communities, is enshrined in some way in the in the in the in the constitutional framework mm. now it doesn't mean that we have to that doesn't mean you have to when you when you hire someone for a government post a certain percentage have to be Maronite. that's not what i'm saying i think maybe having some sort of like a, maybe having two chambers of uh, of a parliament and one being confessional based and right. that yeah. gives maronites a sense of stability that their their is heard or their voices you know recognized in the country
2: mm-hmm.
1: yeah and i think and i think the special their, their specialness, or their, uh, th- th- what makes them special or unique, is the fact that they have very unique links to the West that other Christian communities don't have to the same extent. I think Maronites are, are unique also among other Christians in, in Lebanon with those uh, with those fairly unique and fairly ancient links. I think they're the only they're the first real Catholic community in in the Near East. So, uh, and I think that, and, and the fact that they have those relationships, the fact that that, that brought missionaries to come to Lebanon and establish schools. I think that benefited the whole population. So I, I don't. So I think the Maronite story and the Maronite success in creating an independent Lebanon had indirect effects on, on the Druze and on the Muslims.
0: So uh, so in, indirect effects.
1: Indirect indirect effects in the sense that those missionaries had not come to build schools for Muslims and Druze necessarily, but they were indirect. They were beneficiaries of it having living in the same region or living the same part of the world mm. as America said, or in close proximity to
0: them, right. in other words. Okay, so I'm going to bring up two things here. First, the, sure. sen- the Senate, which you're alluding to, that, that never, never happened, never. and it's yeah. been referenced time and, I mean, it's just Ta'if never happened. Protests today, it doesn't seem to be on the table. Uh, yeah. Political reform in the last 30 years, it was there and it, it wasn't there at the same time. It just never yeah. materialized. So before before we go there, because I I I share a similar uh, sympathy with preserving the mosaic in in some way, and then letting politics have a natural sort of evolution where we can talk about everything without worrying about uh, quotas and the like. So yeah, yeah, that that yeah, and Lebanon, if anything, should be the example of that, but it but it's not. So before we go there, though. I'm I'm going to maybe take it as far back as I can without uh, going <laughs> into like the deep sort of, I, I, forget the 1500s, let's keep it at least to the 19th century. Sure. There are attempts at not just Lebanese Christians, regional Christians playing a role in the identity that we talked about earlier, that yeah. sort of Arab nationalism idea.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And um, I'll quote you to you. Christians tend to believe they cannot become fully Arab without abandoning their religion and culture, which we referenced earlier. This may sound ironic, given that Levantine Christians played a central role in reviving the Arabic language and creating the modern Arab identity during the Nahda, or Renaissance, of the late 19th century. However, it is important to note that this Christian identification with Arabism came at a time where Christians were facing Ottoman oppression and attempting to build bridges with Arab Muslims, Were increasingly alienated by the rise of Turkish nationalism so in that wider story and that's more maybe more one of Greek Orthodox uh, uh, trying to sort of trying to play an active role in modern history less to do with Maronites but at the same time the Maronites are in a way approaching things fundamentally differently they're saying seek Western support seek autonomy preserve autonomy and if they play their cards right, maybe even independent state, whether it's greater Lebanon or smaller Lebanon, it doesn't really matter, that they're going to have some autonomy turned independence at some point. At the same time, they're the links to the West. These other Christians you're describing are in a way links to the East, or they're yeah. they're holding on to the East and trying to play a role in the East. So yeah. is that is that what the... Is it more that they're, the Maronites were linking themselves to the West and it's less to do with pluralism? And if they are to sort of, their decline and your hesitation with that decline, justified hesitation with that decline, is more out of we're losing our natural ties to the West rather than the comfort or discomfort of the community at home. Because I'm, I'm trying to get at what are the costs really of, of losing that kind of uh, political comfort, or to a certain degree, uniqueness. Yeah. And we can take it from there to what we're seeing now, which is that political reform doesn't seem to preserve their situation. It actually adds more fears rather than provides, providing more comfort. So let's yeah. start from there. And maybe we can even talk about if whether or not pluralism is the true benefit of that community's Uniqueness. Sure,
1: and and one thing to cl- one clarification point: yeah. in the late 19th century, there was there was less, I would say, a little bit less agitation for this independent state because they already had gained autonomy from with French support in the form of the Mount Lebanon right? With the yeah, the Jabal Lebanon. Uh, So there was less of that agitation, And there were actually Maronite intellectuals also involved in this whole Arabic revival and this Renaissance. So it was Mm -hmm. not purely Greek Orthodox, at least not at first.
2: It was a general
1: Levantine Christian phenomena. Melkite Christians or Greek Catholics were also heavily involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, But over time, I think it shifted to being far more of an Orthodox phenomenon, which is, which is what you mentioned. And, and so my fears are, 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 are are both, there are, it's both things you mentioned. So, I am a little bit, so for me, it's also, yes, l- losing the natural, our natural connection to the West that I think Maronites historically had been a bit of a bridge to. I think, I think it, over time that has changed. Uh, for example, more recently, the Field Hadiri had very strong relations with uh, leaders like uh, Jacques Chirac of France.
2: Mm, so it's not, mm. I
1: don't think it's, it's, uh, it's not necessarily as pivotal or necessary, mm. but I do think Western interest in Lebanon, part of that, there's a, even if it's subconscious, it's contingent on a presence of Christians in Lebanon. So in a sense, there's a bit of a self-serving aspect to it, where I want Lebanon to to continue to have this sort of role where it has ties to both the east and the
0: west. Do and you I think, don't want to lose. Do you think that? Lebanon? Really think that the Americans are more interested in Lebanon because of the? I, I mean, it's it's a very. These are very like blunt statements, which is why I want to understand yes. it.
1: I, I wouldn't say less. I wouldn't say Americans. I would say if you, if you were to go, if, if you look at European countries when when french the, when the french make statements about lebanon about you know sort of uh, they feel the sort of connection to lebanon and and that doesn't mean that they always support or do much besides statements it's not like they're you know they're actively supporting uh, much recently or, you know in terms of in any fundamental or meaningful way mm. but i think the sort of thing that the fact that lebanon br- is brought up in the conversation in the west uh, and, I specific, and I want to specify France and Europe more so than the United States,
2: mm, okay. and, and
1: and more so than sort of I would say more so than anglophone countries. I think there there's a francophone connection there too that is very strong. But I think France definitely looks Lebanon as looks to Lebanon as the country as a country that they that they saw as one of their own. And and I think one thing to compare is I think the French relationship to Lebanon is very different from the French relationship to Algeria, for example which was a former co- colonial dominion that, mm. that had a very mm. brutal war of independence and mm. that, that never viewed the native Algerians as, as – they never had any sympathy to the native Algerians the way they do to the Lebanese. Yeah. And I think that, that, that is born even if subconsciously due to the fact that Lebanon is, at one point was one-half Christian, that our diaspora is mostly Christian. So there, there is that sympathy to Lebanon and the Lebanese that is born from that, that you don't see Western nations have for like Algeria. Who so are not, also fran- more francophone than us
0: in many ways, but in that very yeah. sort of uh, it's almost like it's almost crude in a sense. Their numbers <laughs> are what are what's at stake. It's not. It's it's really a matter of the the fewer Maronites in Lebanon, the less European curiosity in Lebanon.
1: So so that's one part. The other part mm. is as a fellow minority, I think I have an interest. And, and, mm, and as, mm. there's so that, that is one component. So there's right. a self-serving component where I want Lebanon to be a certain way, and I think the presence of Maronites. And Christians more broadly, but Maronites especially, given their historical links, at, sort of safeguards cards at present, or sort of keeps it a little bit more on the table. Mm. Maybe if it's just a, maybe if it's a, an extra ten percent, I don't think it's I don't think it's a, a, as influential today as as before. But but when you have, for example, the you know the patriarch speaking about neutrality and, and the Vatican coming to support them and, the, and, and France coming to support them, and that may go nowhere. But mm. I don't think there is any figure that you would find anywhere else in the MENA region. We could immediately garner that those words there's words of support from a, from foreign powers or foreign institutions if that makes sense so there's that so there's that part but also i think lebanon this is where it comes also even self-serving in another way but also as a druze i think i would be i would feel less welcome in a less diverse lebanon and a less pluralistic lebanon and 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 i think if lebanon starts to lose its pluralism i would feel less belonging to that country because that country would no longer resemble that that mosaic
0: right you're, does that make sense? <laughs> of course, no, I mean, yeah, it does, it does. But you're delicately, you're, you're exposing two things at once. Sure. The fact that the Lebanese Republic uh, is so ungovernable <laughs> because a community, even if its numbers are going down, it, it cannot sort of, it cannot feel at home with the numbers that remain. It's almost like it's an innate insecurity. Yes, So the political, you definitely see that. Yep. Yeah, and the political uniqueness that they're given, an inflated sort of uh, role, let's say, in in, yep. in in current Lebanese affairs, based on pure demographics. Yeah. Which I mean is a fact that they're, yep. and we don't know the exact number. It's probably less than a third, but that uh, almost yep. like it's taken for granted that they yep. will remain, for the time being, half of the political representation is Christian. Yeah. But it's not like the half that are in Lebanon with that authority feel at home. They feel insecure. Or if they feel at yeah. home, it's not, it's not sustainable. Yeah. So there's that side of the coin. The other side is uh, what the protest movement is about today. So I'm going to dance this dance with you. Okay. And uh, we'll, one more quote, one more you-to-you you quote, and I won't okay. do that again. Sure. Because it's a, it's a very, it's a bleak assessment. It may be too late to halt the rapid decline of Christianity in the Middle East, but acknowledging the negative implications of Arabism and embracing more rooted and inclusive local identities in its place is nevertheless a worthy pursuit. A shift in mindset from regional causes to internal ones, such as tackling corruption and reforming archaic bureaucracies, can only benefit the region's countries and their political and economic development. More importantly, in countries that continue to retain a semblance of pluralism, such as Lebanon, it also may be the last hope for preserving some of that dynamism and diversity that gave these countries their unique character in the first place. You're saying two things at once. You're saying that, yes, reform is necessary and corruption and sort of mismanagement, everything that we've been talking about since October. That that's that's important for everyone's survival. Forget Christians, every Lebanese yes. and every, yeah. So there's that, but you're also saying in a way that a genuine reforming of the state, the way that I think most protesters see it, I could be wrong here, does not necessarily enshrine a protective status or a if you have now. Just a secular state emerging, the Christians, I think, would feel even less secure, even even yep. if even if that is a noble goal, let's say let's assume it is. It, yep. that that goal is something that may be uh, attractive to most yep. protesters, a civil state and secular state and sectarianism thrown out the window. And then this is the community that would probably be the first to either defend themselves. In, in an ugly way that could turn violent or or flee altogether. So let's let's go into that. What exactly is the reform that's necessary to make sure that this community stays and whether or not it is too late to actually yeah. prevent that decline? Because we've seen it in the Middle East and you mentioned even in the numbers in Syria and Iraq are, are staggering. And that that's just recently. I mean you go back to the early 1930s, and you're right to point this out, I think it's at least a third of every country's populations was non-Muslim. Yeah. So that includes Christians and Jews and, and other minorities. So that's, I mean, that's important to note, it's less than 100 years ago. And today yeah. it's almost like a vanishing, uh, nearly extinct community in those countries on, on rapid decline. So let's, let's dance this dance delicately. Is there genuine reform that's possible while, enshr- while enshrining that community's deepest insecurities in a Senate or, or the like? And is it too late for that kind of pluralism and bridge to the West?
1: Uh, well, I'll, I'll be optimistic, which I'm not always on Lebanon. I think that nothing is ever too late. Mm. Uh, and I think one thing to point out is uh, not just Maronites. I think Christian numbers in Lebanon have been increasing. They have not been in decline. Their percentage has declined because of, you know, yeah. rising birth rates on, on the sort of mm. Muslim side. Mm. But but their numbers have not been in decline. Yes, uh, a very large number of Christians did leave uh, during the Civil War. And then their number actually shrank during the Civil War, especially during the early years of the war where many Christ- Christians used to be more spread out throughout Lebanon. Mm. There were many villages in the north and the in the, uh, and in the south. And, the, and many of those were sort of forced into mountain Lebanon and many end up fleeing. Yeah. You know, at, at at some point, I think at the peak of the war, an estimate of a third of all Maronites left the country. But many came back in the 90s when, mm-hmm. when mm-hmm. Rasul Hadidi, you know, came back and sort of brought some sort of stability and started, you know, reconstructing the country. So so and so on net, I think coming back to today, uh, Christians are more now than when, than what the, the numbers they were.
0: The numbers, the sorry, the numbers they were. Oh, I, I need to get into this because it's important that the net numbers are more than 1974. Yes, but that excludes Lebanon's total population.
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm just talking uh, talking pure pure numbers. I'm not talking percentages.
0: Right, but okay. So the population pre civil war was less than three million, right?
1: Less than three million, and I think less than a million maybe a million, millions and a half Christians. I think there are slightly more Christians today. It's not significantly more, but Christians have mostly held their numbers plus increased a little bit.
0: And this includes other non-Lebanese Christians, Syrian Christians, for example, or is this purely Lebanese? Uh, I,
1: I think it is purely Lebanese purely based Lebanese. on the statistics I've looked. So it's mostly way, kept the same and increased a little bit. It's not It's not a massive increase, right.
0: but it's held yeah, it its ground. But the natural growth that other communities experienced in Lebanon, is it outweighs the Christian
1: Yes, they okay. have not had significant natural
0: growth. Uh, right, and and yeah. that that's quite shocking. I didn't know a third of the Maronite community left Lebanon during the war. I never heard I think that figure.
1: At, at some, I forget which book I read that in, so I'll have to remember. But I, I believe at some point, at the peak of the war, in sort of the middle of the eighties, mm. uh, they left, but many actually returned in the nineties.
0: That's interesting. So that's that, that's many the,
1: many repatriated. Yeah.
0: Right. Okay. So yeah. let's yeah. So let's starting from there. So they're. We can then admit that even if the numbers are <laughs> not extremely disappointing, it's still not on par with other communities in Lebanon.
1: It's not on par in terms of growth. Yeah. Now, in terms of what reforms I suppose, but but I think the fact that it's held its ground shows that Lebanon still had this appeal that maybe Iraq and Syria did not have for its Christians. Mm. And, and this an and appeal comes in the form of like just the basic stability and having the, able, the ability to build a life and the ability to feel sufficiently secure. Because I think Christians do feel insecure politically, but I think at least for mo- for most of their history in Lebanon, they felt at home. I think that in- they were insecure, but they were at home. And I think mm. you see it in Christian populations elsewhere. They were insecure, but also not at home. They felt their country completely no longer looks like them. Yeah. So so Christians never had that feeling. Yes, they're insecure, right. but they they feel they belong to Lebanon. They feel connected to Lebanon. At least yeah. that's that's definitely the impression that I've gotten. Mm. Now reforms that I think that are possible. Yes, it would be nice to have a senate. That may not happen. I think I think some form of decentralization of the state to more. And, and again, I'm, I'm very much I embrace localism, both in identity sense, but in the administrative sense. And I think more. Uh, and and I'm not particularly a, a nationalist per se. My my Lebanese nationalism is born more out of a, a love for pluralism and 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 the sort of mosaic that exists in Lebanon. Mm. Yeah. and and I mentioned at some point in the essay, you know, my identity is more Levantine, so it's more. I think Lebanon is the last best hope to 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 preserve that sort of Lebanese cosmopolitan mosaic. What is your Which
0: Twitter? What is your Twitter handle? Levantine uh, at,
1: at Levantophile.
0: <laughs> Levantophile. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so so you're so it's it is not it's. I'm glad you're you're mentioning this yeah. at, at at the end that it's not one of nationalism, and yes. it's not one of exclusion actually.
2: Yeah. It's it's no.
0: one that you just don't like. You don't like. Authoritarianism and centralization. Yes, right.
1: And I think I think some form of decentralization, federalism, might be too strong of a term. It has negative connotations. Mm, mm. Uh, some people would object to the idea of having a mostly Christian canton in in the, in Mount Lebanon. Uh, I mean, I would be not fully uncomfortable with, fully comfortable with that as a Druze from Mount Lebanon as well. So, 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 so there are definitely issues with that. But I think some form of decentralization that gives them ownership in their local councils, in their local districts, because many districts in Lebanon are still majority Maronites. And I think that sort of decentralization that in effect would, would give Maronites some sort of ownership while allowing the reforms to happen in the state that are needed. You know, we don't need to have quotas in government jobs, as long as as long as people have a say in, in how they're governed, and you know who collects their garbage, where you know uh, what what they you know how they pay for their electricity, that that sort of thing. Uh, if that could be done in a more local level, just the way you know maybe take what the model that has happened in Zahle and implement that everywhere else. You're referring While to the
0: electricity, the 20, like, yes, yeah,
1: they, yes, exactly. Like how they've been able to take ownership of uh, of their uh, of. You know the the utilities sector and reform that. And I, my hunch is that the people of Zahli are less likely to immigrate than than people from anywhere else in Lebanon. Or uh, given that their their situation, at least relatively, is. is
0: you, do you think it comes down to that? That the number of hours you have, the less likely you're you're to leave.
1: I mean, things are desperate, man. I don't know.
0: <laughs> but taman I'm going. I mean, I don't yep. mean this as a challenge. I really mean yeah, this yeah, as uh, as yep. I, I want to get to maybe the uh, the, the natural conclusion. Sure. Uh, of of what we're seeing and this is an idea that crossed my mind before we started uh, speaking today that this localism idea yeah. decentralization, you name it whatever you want to call it, federalism, yeah. whatever um, it is born out of Twitter exchanges mostly and I'm, I mean going back to the Twitter sort of angle that you approach because I see that flourishing online and then I don't see it sort of taking hold at least in the Lebanese context the way that other ideas take hold if it if it appears now and then it's usually on the margins usually yes But let's say that it most ideas in Lebanon that are taking hold are bad ideas okay and let's go into the Twitter sphere (laughs) my sense and you're you're more well versed in this than I am my sense is that this state of affairs local communities taking care of themselves uh, a national state that deals with little that to me is the civil war. Or, or for that matter, that to me is when Lebanon is not functioning. And, and case in point is what we're seeing now, that there is a sort of inertia to look within and sort of find ideas within your own community that are at odds with that national aspiration that we're seeing on the streets, in terms of state reform and the like. So in other words, in other words, when Le- when the state is ungovernable, it, when the state is extremely ungovernable, it's it's always ungovernable. Let's say when it's in really bad shape. Yeah, the, the localism is what Lebanon experiences. It's not a refined version of it. It's not like a. It's not a. It's not a. It's not a healthy version of it. It's an unhealthy one. It's one born out of zama and at worst yeah. militiamen. But the the nineteen eighties were very much so a one of localism, and the state had very little authority. And, and, uh, but it's, it was still there. It was a, it was a civil war era, but communities did sort of look within. And, and to me, it's almost like when I hear that, when I hear decentralization, when I hear sort of uh, localism, I think that is Lebanon's default option when the state is really not working. And that to me is not necessarily a good thing that, that we cannot sort of look above that sort of very limited politics. But you tell me if I'm getting this wrong. That that is yeah. the civil war, the a, a different version of localism that that is unrelated to what you're talking about, or or do you see sort of parallels there?
1: Well, well, the sort of localism that that I I, I sort of mm. embrace or believe in, hopefully, would not be the sort of where a warlord takes over, ethnically cleanses people from other communities, and creates their own sectarian you know you know district or province. That's not mm. that's not what I'm embracing. And I think that was more, I don't even call that localism. I think that's de facto federalism or federalization of the country where it was divided into like five regions. I'm talking more of a a de jure, so in law, written in law, devolution of power to municipalities. So we can even go down, it doesn't have to be that necessarily, you know, the Christians have an independent now Lebanon and, and the, the Sunnis turn Tripoli into a Sunni city and, you know, and, and, and things of that nature in, in the South with, with the Shias and so on. It's, it's less, it's less that it's more of a, a, du, a du jour, allowing municipalities, allowing people to pay their taxes to mm-hmm. municipalities and allowing municipalities to provide more services. And so, for example, I'm from a rural part of Lebanon. My municipality may not have, it's not Zahle, it cannot provide electricity, mm-hmm. but maybe, uh, the sort of district as a whole can which is a mostly a partly rural rural district can come together and provide its own electricity sector. And I'm from a very I'm from Babda, so Babda district. So it's a very diverse district. It's not mm. like the, the Druze have their own power station and the Maronites have their own power station. That's not what I, I foresee. I foresee a lot of these a lot of these basic failures of the state have existed because the state is very central, very centralized. And all the sects are fighting for that one, for, for whatever positions of power in this very central centralized state. Versus when it's, I think, more devolved to to down to local municipalities. Uh, I think people, I, I think that there's a more direct relationship to people. People see where their tax money is going. And and maybe this is theoretical. I I, I don't know how this would work in practice. But but my, my feel my sense is that this would lead to better outcomes on on the on the basic services part.
2: You know, mm-hmm. can we get can we yeah. get people
1: to collect our garbage? Can we get uh, you know sufficient electricity? and so on. So, so this is where I think that the de jure decentralization that, that I am for, uh, I think those are the benefits of it. I still want a central state that takes care of national defense that, you know, has its own, you know, ha, you know has its own internal security forces and so on, and, and we'll have a parliament and the government. But I just don't think some very basic things should be either decentralized or even privatized. You know, in the U.S., we don't have public utilities. A lot of them are, you know, there are private companies that, that, that are, that, that provide utilities to us and things of that nature. So, so a lot of the, I think a lot of the failures ha- has to do with the fact that the state owns a lot, the central state owns a lot of everything, of, of, uh, of things that are very necess- necessary for human life in Lebanon. And I think fundamentally, I think that is a big problem. And I think, yeah, does, does that make sense? Uh, I'm not sure if I'm, I'm hitting the point that, that you're addressing.
0: It makes sense, but I, I'm always wondering, I mean, the the evolution of Lebanon from the Mottasarafi through World War I and Greater Lebanon had a deliberate focus on trying to apply 20th century politics to a 19th century idea. Yeah, And it seems like despite all the best efforts, the centralized state of Lebanon uh, has been so poorly managed that the the attraction seems to be going back to what worked long ago. But that means that means that the idea of greater Lebanon is one of failure. B- because it's, I think the, in my opinion, you're, you're mentioning you're from sort of a, a remote part of the country and the mountains. I'm from the Beirut, yep. I am a Beirut, but I'm originally, I'm from like, in Tripoli. the way you're originally from somewhere, I'm originally from somewhere, although yeah. I don't have any emotional ties to that part of the country, even if it's celebrated at times, I don't think of myself as someone from Tripoli. But for better or worse, all my paperwork is there, um, all my family history is there,
2: mm-hmm. most
0: of my relatives are, are buried there, and when I do visit the relatives that are still alive, I go to Tripoli. I don't go yeah. elsewhere. So there's, I have a deep connection. A a to Trip- connection. Yeah. I mean, it's maybe it's not home, but I'm, I'm, I'm locked in that sense to yeah. Tripoli. Sure. The centralized version of Lebanon, I think is what helped Tripoli turn into something that was very attractive to my parents' generation and my grandparents' generation. It emulated ideas born out of Beirut, born out of Mount Lebanon. And we talked a bit about this, that, I mean, Tripoli, the best schools are the ones that are the schools you referred to earlier. Uh, Missionary schools. schools, uh, Tripoli Muslims celebrating Christmas in 1950s. And that kind of sort of like superficial hysteria that you see online, it's like, oh, Muslims with a Christmas tree. But it actually meant something back then. That there was a, there's a cosmopolitanism Mm -hmm. that I don't think is born out of localism. I think it's born out of emulation. And the emulation, I think, is the story of greater Lebanon, that the best ideas that were emerging from that centralized thing were kind of replicating in other parts of the country that stopped even before the Civil War. So it's not like it didn't persist. But but I don't know if the Tripoli that I want is possible with a local sort of administration, that it's almost like. It's an acceptance of differences that I don't necessarily think are healthy. I see what you're saying. And I say that as someone who really thinks the current state of affairs is ugly. It's not like, preserve this, because this is not sustainable. But at the same time, I don't know if these kinds of differences are the ones that I would want to celebrate. If I, and I'm saying this in a sort of very amateur way. But I like the fact that I can be from Beirut or feel like I'm from Beirut. I don't really want to feel like I have to be from Tripoli if that makes sense.
1: I see what you're saying. In my version uh, of events, I think you can tin Fusak, you can mm. remove, mm. you know, your affiliation with Tripoli legally, put it in Beirut and vote in Beirut if you mm. wanted to. Mm. But let's focus on Tripoli because I think this is interesting because my take on it is actually very different. Mm. I think I think the emulation would have happened regardless because of the fact that we are in the same country and the fact that Mount Lebanon and Beirut had a certain level of economic development that much of the rest of the country did not have. That mm. those were that, that were added to it, and it had this history of being autonomous for about fifty years as the Mother and and also a lot of you know French influence and, and from missionaries and so on. That, that, that precedes that by even another you know for like two centuries maybe before Lebanon came to be. There were there were, there were missionaries coming in and establishing schools and so on. Mm. But I think, I think that emulation would have happened regardless. I actually think the centralization toward Beirut is what actually killed Tripoli. Because Tripoli, to a large extent... So Tripoli, when Lebanon became independent, was, was a rival port city of Beirut. And mm-hmm. in fact, actually, from what I've read, one of the reasons they included it in the state of greater Lebanon is they were afraid that this other port city that would have been part of potentially a future Syrian state would come to rival Beirut as a major port city... And take away a lot take econo- take away a lot economically from Beirut and that would you know starve Lebanon so to speak economically so that was why it was included it was a very major port city well if you look at Tripoli today you can see because of this especially i think post civil war centralization is very also very very different in nature from let's say the Fouad-Shab type centralization of the 60s right. so there's a very
2: different right. difference and i
1: think uh, and and I and I don't and I think the Fuad Shehab was very much it, it was a cult of personality based centralization mm. and it failed under his own Shahabist successors. It was mm. very much it was very much the figure of Fuad Shehab who commanded a certain level of respect was able to create the sort of secular, perf, maybe not imperfect but the most perfect form of centralization we've ever seen in this country. Mm. But the centralization post-war has been very very sectarian oriented. Right, and that's is because of all these warlords turned into politicians and 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 then they started and it's just bickering over you know government seats and it takes two years to find a president two years to make a government and all that sort of mess but i also think this focus on beirut and this centralization of the entire economic power of the country at beirut very much squeezed tripoli and neglect and and let let tripoli be neglected so i Hmm. think that's what killed tripoli Hmm. like today you look at lebanon's population about almost half of the country lives in beirut or its suburbs it was up to two two and a half million people yeah. in the greater Beirut area yeah. in a country of let's say you know five million maybe today of mm. uh, five million people and 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 whereas a lot of people from maybe the northern half of the country should have been going to Tripoli uh, that's that should have been their natural focal point as a city mm. in a more decentralized Lebanon right. And similarly for the south, Saida, Saida's not as big as Tripoli, but and, and it's actually somewhat close to Beirut, but Saida could have been a more important city, potentially, and, and Sur, uh, et cetera. So, so I, think, I think this centralization toward Beirut actually killed a lot of Lebanon cities. You see a lot of fairly big cities don't have much of an economic importance to the country at all. Most of the economy is centered on Beirut, and I think and I think that's part of deliberate policy that has been taken. I think, and I think, that has been, I think that has been one of the key problems in, in Lebanese society, or Lebanese, Lebanese. I say a little bit Lebanese political economy, let's put it this way.
0: You've managed to link a lot of things that I never imagined linking, the, the economic story with Christian identity, <laughs> the minority complex, but not from your own minority, from another minority. Um, the story of political reform, but maybe through ideas that are not necessarily uh, present right now on the Lebanese street, but may seem to solve a lot of Lebanon's problems. And one born out of sheer sheer curiosity. I mean, you're in the tech industry, you're in San Francisco, (laughs) and you're spending your free time writing about Christian complex in the Middle East. So I think it's a yeah, it's a very rewarding conversation, at least at least for me. And you're very kind. You gave me an hour and a half of your time or close to that. So yeah. that to me means a lot. And I yeah. really hope if, if, if you decide to do an update piece on the Drew's perspective, we can do yeah. a follow-up. And I can then quote you to you against your previous quotes and see whether or not I'm talking to a schizophrenic person <laughs> or whether or not somebody who's just able to see a very a, a multitude of perspectives at once which I think is what Lebanon, in its essence, can do when it comes to the pluralism story. You can step out of your own comfort zone and see the other side of the story. And I think that's healthy. And I think you've done yeah. it quite well. Yeah, Thank
1: you. And uh, one thing I would like to add, one of the people who commented on, my, on, on Twitter, and I forget the comment, but they were like, you know, it would be a great idea if in Lebanon we made everyone take the perspective of a different community mm. and actually write about their perspective on Lebanon in, 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 in sort of an essay format as well, so they can see that perspective from the other side. And I think that's something we should aspire more to do in, in Lebanon today. It's, it's, it's seeing, seeing how the other side perceives things. And, and that's yeah. what I was trying to, to talk, when I talked about the Christian story, I talked about their perspective. I, I did. You can tell the sympathy for their, their plight, if you will. Maybe mm-hmm. that's a strong word, but the sympathy for their circumstances is there. But I don't necessarily agree with, with fully with ev- with everything they did. Or, or you know, for example, I, I don't see the Lebanese national idea as, as being perfect. It, it was imperfect from the start, and it did not it did not include non Christians very well. There was a bit of a, a cultural superiority for Christians and a political uh, political and economic supremacy as well to a very great extent. Mm uh, and, and maybe perhaps maybe not just Christians, but also the elite families of Beirut. So, uh, versus the rest of the country, but, uh, and so so it's not, it's not perfect, but I I think it's important for us to like, I guess, look at the, you know, perspectives from the other side and, and I would love the chance. Uh, I think I lost my train of thought there, but I'd love the chance to, to, to hopefully come again on your podcast and, and talk a lot about the Druze identity and how they perceive Lebanon. If I end up writing this piece, I have to uh, find some more free time and, and, and do that. But I've, I've also really enjoyed this conversation and uh, I hope you did as well.
0: Tamer, you've now just set yourself up for 17 more medium pieces. I expect I think a- so. every community's <laughs> perspective. <laughs> the, the
1: Jewish perspective on Lebanese. The whole, <laughs> the
0: whole shebang. I mean, I want everything now. I want the Greek Catholic versus the Latin Catholic uh, community's perspective. <laughs> and then, you know, every, every single perspective. No, yeah. you're very kind. So, Tamir, I look forward to another conversation with you, and thank you so much.
1: Thank you so much for your time.
0: Thanks for listening, and a friendly reminder to help support this podcast by contributing through Patreon or PayPal. All links are in the details box below. Until next time, I'm Rani Shatah, and this is the Beirut Banyan.